This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. Hello there. This is Brian, Warren, and Jennifer from the Wabash Valley Power Alliance Economic Development Team. Together with 19 rural electric member cooperatives, we serve communities in 48 Indiana counties. And we're proud to sponsor today's IEDA In Your Ear podcast. Enjoy. All right. Today, I'm talking with Wes Wood, Executive Director of InVets, uh, Indiana's statewide effort to attract transitioning veterans to Indiana communities and jobs. InVets is the result of a collaboration with a number of partners and was started a number of years ago in a much different employment environment. But Indiana employers are still scrambling to find a qualified workforce and veterans represent a unique opportunity for meeting those needs. So, Wes, thanks for taking time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Okay. Uh, so let's start first with a very gener- uh, general situational overview. Uh, what prompted the effort to focus on attracting veterans to Indiana in the first place, and why veterans? Sure. So I think um, what prompted it in general was Indiana's demand for workforce. Uh, you know, we've got a number of of companies around the state that, if you look back a few years, were, were just dying for good, hardworking, reliable, well-qualified talent. And Indiana's population, just quite honestly, was not keeping up the pace with its economic growth. So in a variety of different organizations throughout the state, there were talks about, you know, how do we access additional talent pools, create new talent pipelines, um, Veterans are attractive for a number of reasons. One, they've got a lot of those soft skills that employers are looking for. They've got the work ethic and the reliability, the leadership skills, the teamwork uh, skills. And on top of that, um, there's a large number of them that leave the military every year. Uh, And out of that population that leaves, you know, it's generally two to 300,000 every year. Um, A good portion of them are looking to relocate to somewhere entirely new. You know, they're not going to stay Uh, in the same vicinity of where they leave the military. They're not going to go back to their hometown. Uh, We recently saw some documentation from the military that said that in 2019, 49% of transitioning service members did not go home and did not stay where they left the military. So that's 49% that are up for grabs. um, And it seemed like a good population for for Indiana to try and attract uh, to our state. So you're a veteran, and uh, we appreciate your service and your sacrifice. I think for people like me who are not veterans, um, there are things that we don't understand about the challenges of transitioning from military to civilian life. Uh, So, you know, what are some of those challenges that it seems like this should be a fairly straightforward thing? Uh, You know, Indiana has jobs. Uh, You know, the veterans are coming out of the military. Um, what are some of the challenges, though, that, that make that transition uh, uh, challenging for veterans and make it challenging for trying to get them into the jobs that we have? Sure. Well, you know, there's a lot of challenges out there. Um, one of the, what a lot of them stem from is just how radically different life in the military is from life in the civilian world. Uh, the military is a very highly structured, um, high intensity environment. And so you, uh, 
you know, there's a variety of issues that stem from that. So one issue is that a lot of veterans, you know, when we're in, when I was in, for example, so I'll, re- I'll reference my experience uh, for a lot of these. When I was in for the five years that I served, it was, you know, 12, 15 hour plus days every single day. Um, you know, a lot of pressure put on you from, from leaders, from peers, from the environment in which you're working. And really all of your attention is sucked up by your job and by your team. Um, it gets 100% of your attention. So a lot of folks, when they come to that point where they're leaving the military, they don't, it's hard for them to pull their head up and look towards the future and really plan for what comes next or even think about what comes next. You know, when I was getting out, all I wanted was, a, was you know, a break. I was, I was running on fumes when I got out. You know, I'd given the military all I had for those five years. Um, most folks, when they, when they go to get out, they've got some, some PTO saved up. They've got some leave days. And for me, I had 63 days, I think, saved up. So I thought, you know, 63 days, that's more than enough time to take a vacation, figure out what in the world I want to do with the rest of my life, and then go find a job. And I think that's the mentality that a lot of people have when they get out and they don't spend enough time preparing and looking ahead. So that's one, one key issue. A second issue is whenever they do get out and they go talk to that or they, or they go try and find an employer, they've got to figure out what they want to do. A, a vast majority of veterans do not do a job in the civilian sector that directly correlates to what they do in the, what they did in the military. So for me, I was infantry. Uh, it's about 10% of the U.S. Army is is made up of infantry, and you know specifically within infantry, I was a sniper. And there's just not that many jobs, you know, not that many civilian companies looking to hire snipers. So you've got to try and figure out how what you did in the military can can be useful to a civilian employer without ever having actually worked for one of those civilian employers. So you don't know what they're looking for, how it's applicable. Now the military and other nonprofits have done. Uh, quite a bit of work over the last few years in trying to help service members translate what they did into civilian terms, but the translation is often tricky. Um, and, and what it typically ends up doing is creating a lot of cookie cutter resumes coming out of the military so that when a civilian looks at these veterans, uh, they see a bunch of fluffy terms and it's hard for them to parse out what that person actually did. So uh, that, that creates an issue on both sides of the equation. It, create, it makes it difficult for a, for a veteran to understand what, uh, what industries are applicable to their experience that they bring to the table, what companies might be looking for what they have to offer. And it makes it really difficult for the employer uh, to do the reverse of that, you know, to take a look at that veteran and understand why that veteran might be more attractive than their civilian uh, peers or, you know, competing applications. Um, so that's, that, that's one of the key issues in the, in, in initially finding a job. And then after they find the job, there's a whole host of other issues, you know, uh, veterans have to decompress. They have to figure out how to adjust, uh, work styles from what the military looks for and creates versus what employers in the civilian sector are looking for. Usually this comes down to communication styles, you know, the, in the military, everything is about brevity, about making something as clear and concise and direct as possible, so as to be you know, extremely efficient in your communication. Oftentimes, what that looks like to a civilian is somebody being rude or somebody being aggressive. And so, uh, you know, veterans are very direct. If there's an issue, if there's a problem with what you're doing, if you're not performing 
as well as they think you should perform or in a way that they think you should, they'll just straight up tell you. And it's not that they're trying to be mean most of the time or rude. They're just trying to get the information across in the most direct manner possible. And while there's benefit to that, it, you can't expect the whole civilian uh, you know, ecosystem to adjust. So, so veterans have a lot of work to do just in adjusting some of those, some of those work styles to the civilian workplace. And usually it takes, you know, maybe a year, maybe two years to fully make that adjustment. But what that really requires is an employer that's willing to work with them through that process and give them a little bit of grace as they, as they make those changes. But I think uh, from conversations that we've had, I think that communication goes on the other side where, where I think I've heard you talk about the veteran is used to that very clear instruction um, and, and getting into the workplace. It may come across as a suggestion or as something indefinite as opposed to that really clear instruction. And that creates a, a different kind of communication problem on the other side. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. So in the military, when you're about when you're given a task, when you're given a mission, you get your task condition standard is what it's called in the military. You know, your task, this is the thing that you're supposed to do. This is the end result. Uh, the conditions, these are the parameters that you have to operate within. These are your guidelines and then the standards. This is how you're going to be measured on when we rate you on success or failure. And everything, everything from the biggest to smallest thing is broken down into those three categories civilian world isn't like that. So, you know, that ambiguity around job performance, around expectations and feedback um, can be frustrating for veterans. And the important thing I would point out to, to employers as well on that front is don't be afraid to give direct feedback. That's exactly what veterans are used to. That's what they're expecting. If they're not performing the way they should, don't be afraid to just straight up tell them. Well, and I thought it would be, it, it was good to maybe start a conversation about, you know, some of those uh, challenges and just about some of those differences. They don't have to be challenges, but they are differences in terms of expectation uh, on the side of the veteran and also on the side of the employer. Um, and sometimes that, I think, goes overlooked simply because um, if an employer, if an individual has not been uh, in the military, they may not understand that culture and they may not understand that having to bridge that culture uh, from civilian to military is something that they have to spend time on, that it becomes, it becomes a, a critical issue for success. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the other added benefits that comes along with it is, you know, it's a potential really good source, this, this veteran population of diversity within your workforce. And I'm not just talking about diversity of, of ethnicity or something like that. But, you know, bringing somebody into your organization that's come from that military environment that's worked all over the country, all over the world with all different people, and specifically in that structured, very direct environment, while, yes, they're going to need to adjust to the civilian work style, there's also probably some benefits that a lot of organizations could take from that work style, you know, and that direct communication. There's some real benefit to, to getting that outside perspective on current current workflows or practices or anything like that. So, you know, I'd also caution employers to be too quick to completely do away with, with any of that, the, any of those practices that a, a better might bring to your organization. So let's, let's talk then directly about now about InVets. 
And this is something that we've uh, collectively been working on for a number of years. And even though when we started having these conversations, and I know when you started uh, in vets, uh, it, we were we were dealing with a much different employment situation with a two percent or less un, unemployment rate in the state. And even though that unemployment rate has changed, we still see a number of employers seeking skilled employees, and that there's still a tremendous amount of demand. Uh, so even though it's changed, there still is a tremendous need for uh, a range of new employees. So start with a general overview of uh, InVets and what it is and, and what it's trying to do. Um, so so InVets as a whole can be really broken down into three phases of effort, uh, recruit, employ, and retain. So what we, what we broadly hope to do is provide a shared resource for the state of Indiana, for their communities and, and their employers to utilize and connecting with the greater veteran and transitioning service member population. So, and, and by the way, transitioning service member, service member is, is the broad term that describes somebody that's in the military. You know, each branch has its own name, you know, whether it's soldier, Marine, sailor. Uh, and so service member, when I say that's just, just people in the military in general. Um, and and where, whereas it's usually not cost effective for most employers to stand up their own dedicated team that goes out and connects with this population and trying to attract and, and tries to attract veteran candidates to an organization, um, it is cost effective to have a dedicated team for the, the entire state. And so that's what we provide. So on the recruit side of things, we actively go out, we physically travel under normal conditions to military installations throughout the country. We have face-to-face -face conversations with service members that are thinking about exiting the military, about what their plans are, um, you know, where they want to live, what they want to do. And we try and make sure that Indiana is at the forefront of their mind during this decision-making process. So we not only have these, these in-person interactions, we also reach out via social media, virtual interactions, uh, and then we also have marketing efforts. So we've got uh, digital marketing campaigns. We've got podcast advertisements. We've got all sorts of, of different marketing channels that we leverage to try and connect with this popula population throughout the country um, to try and try and see who's who's open to opportunities within Indiana. Uh, so that's the recruitment piece. Uh, and, we, and we do utilize our website pretty heavily in this process. So whether we are having an in-person conversation with somebody or whether we're you know, getting an ad out, all of that drives traffic to our website that then shares information about different Indiana regions, communities, uh, you know, hot industries within Indiana, and then information on employers as well to help us make that sale, essentially, of why somebody should, should pick us over another state um, when they're deciding where to put down roots and, and start their civilian career. Um, so once we've got them hooked, once we're through that recruitment phase, then we get to the employment piece. So again, we leverage technology to help us out in this. Any veteran that is interested in coming to the state or seeking employment within the state, um, we have them create a profile where they upload a resume, they outline where in the state they want to live, what they want to do, what their background is, their experience level. Um, and then on the flip side, we give employers free access to create a profile share the content about their company, who they are, what they do, what open jobs they have at any given point in time. And then we provide through our platform the opportunity for those two to connect. So uh, veterans can go and, and apply for those jobs directly. As they apply, 
companies are then notified of the application, you know, who applied. They can also go through, filter, sort, and, you know, just browse the overall candidate pool and find applicant or find veterans that they think might be good future applicants. Um, we do some level of case management on this. So we leverage a lot of partners throughout the state, nonprofit and governmental partners to help out with the case management. We don't do it all on our own, but we do offer, you know, one-on-one -on -one guidance or suggestions to those veterans that want to seek um, that assistance. Uh, and then we sometimes, when we find a really uniquely skilled or highly qualified veteran, we might reach out to an employer directly as well, just to, just to see if there's any interest. But for the most part, the website does a lot of heavy lifting on the employment piece. Um, and then the last phase, the retention piece, and this is ever evolving, but we want to make sure that when somebody comes to the state, they don't just have a good job. We want to really get them plugged in and engaged with their local community. So we're actively trying to build partnerships with other nonprofits, community groups, veteran or non-veteran related, that are just good, good kind of community anchors to tie these veterans and their families into. Uh, we don't want them having a bad experience. We don't want them coming to a new location without some sort of, you know, welcome wagon, a friendly face in their community. And so uh, we're continuously working on expanding that network to plug people into as they come into the state. So obviously, you know, we're not the only ones who are trying to, to attract veterans, but what makes what you're doing with InVets, what makes it different from other competing efforts uh, from other places? Sure. There's really, to be honest, not a lot of competition in this space uh, from a state perspective. There's a handful of other states or regions that have tried something like this. Um, there's only a very few that have anything like, you know, kind of the financial fire, firepower or, uh, you know, organizational firepower that we've brought to this effort. Um, and and they've tapped each organization or state that has done this has done it a little bit different. So if you take Wisconsin, for example, they they threw, you know, basically a couple million dollars into a marketing campaign to try and attract veterans to Wisconsin. But if you were a veteran and you, you clicked the link, you said, yeah, I'm interested, you simply got funneled into their normal Department of Workforce Development process. There was no veteran-specific programming. There was no community integration. There was no you know, employer platform or anything like that. It was simply a marketing campaign. Florida has done something similar to that. Iowa probably did something a little bit closer to what we're doing, but again, it was all within the state. I think what the real benefit is of what we are doing is it really is a public-private partnership. So um, we, you know, we are a nonprofit organization, which allows us to, you know, actively operate outside of our state's borders, send staff out, um, you know, take philanthropic contributions, corporate contributions, but still have the partnership with the state that gives us, uh, you know, that mantle of authority that the governor, lieutenant governor, bring to the table as well as partnership with various state agencies that support our efforts. So I would say we really are, you know, while, while other states and organizations have taken a stab at what we're trying to do, we really are the only ones that have taken this, this fully holistic approach, you know, partnering with as many organizations within the state as we are. Well, and it seems that when we were looking at, at this whole process, that a lot of the recruitment efforts were company-specific, and so it was the companies going forward and perhaps talking at some of the transition events uh, on the bases or on the installations. Um, and it was very specific to maybe one company, not a lot of support in the way. 
And so I think what, what makes what you're doing unique is, again, sort of that holistic notion of community support, other organizations, and, um, you know, as a, I assume, as those service members are, are looking at the website and are becoming part of the process, they have an opportunity to see a variety of employment opportunities in communities as opposed to just one employer being on, a, on an installation making a pitch to, to work for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, it is useful when we go and talk to veterans to have these individual company kind of, uh, you know, case scenarios to present to them um, to really bring some reality to what we're saying about jobs being available. But at the same time, um, that, that is really one of our, one of our key differentiators when we go to these events on, on basis. You know, a veteran can go talk to an individual company uh, you know, and that that company might have a handful of jobs open and they're going to push you hard to take whatever skill set you bring to the table and kind of stuff it into one of those positions. You know, they're going to try and force you to fit one of those roles, whereas we can really zoom out and take a look across all industries and all the companies we work with and make a better, less biased maybe recommendation to a, a veteran on where their skills might be of most value. And, and it also, you know, it helps us open doors, you know, across the country, you know, from a, from a state perspective, we don't have a lot of competition, but there are a lot of individual companies that are trying to recruit veterans. And so when we go to these career fairs, you know, we're going up against big defense contractors. We're going up against Fortune 500 companies. Um, and so having that, that breadth of, of employers that we work with is really one of our key selling points to get veterans to, to engage with us over, over those other organizations. And I know we talked early in the process, too, about the combination of both employment and also lifestyle. And so I know that on the website, uh, you do talk about regions in Indiana. That was part of your part. That's part of the retention part that you have on there to connect people to those resources and lifestyle. Now, how does and, and I know we talked about sort of what's the relative weight and I'm sure that changes as the employment situation changes. How is that working when you're talking about sort of the regions, you're talking about communities as part of that sales pitch, as opposed to just, just a specific job of the specific company? Well, I think, you know, as much as we talk about veterans as an overall demographic, there is, there is still quite a bit of individuality when, you, you know, when it comes from person to person. Um, that we talk to. I think, you know, you can generally think of transitioning service members as falling into one of two buckets. So the first bucket, and they're by, by numbers, they're almost evenly weighted. So the first bucket are folks that get out in their early to mid-20s. They've done three to five years in the military, and now they're going out and essentially starting a civilian career, you know, kind of from the bottom moving up. And they have a little bit different on average set of values and objectives than the second bucket of veterans. And those are those that are getting out of the military in their low to mid forties. They've done 20 plus years. So you retire from the military at, at at least 20 years, you get a pension for the rest of your life. And so you get a lot of people that leave the military in their early to mid forties. They obviously still have a good amount of civilian work ahead of them in their lives, but they tend to have families, they tend to have kids, they tend to have a little bit different objective than that younger crowd. So as far as Indiana goes, lucky for us, a lot of the military comes from more rural communities. They like open spaces. They like, 
the kind of values that Indiana communities have to offer. Um, and, and, you know, COVID and, you know, recent, you know, events around the country have really kind of highlighted this, I think. I think it's really put us in a good position as, as a state to attract people. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places around the country that are overpriced. You know, real estate prices have only gone up given the COVID pandemic throughout the country. And so we've seen a lot of people, you know, migrating out of these more heavily populated areas, these more expensive areas. And we've, we've definitely tried to, and, and I think succeeded in capturing some, some of that population that's coming out. You know, those folks are getting out with kids and, and people in the military disproportionately marry young and have kids younger than the, the general population. So, you know, again, I think one of our key selling points in Indiana is just the family friendliness. You know, just speaking from personal experience, my dad's from California. Uh, and he always, my grandparents, his siblings, they all, they all still live in California. Um, and the reason he always gave for, for choosing Indiana was, was, in his opinion, opinion, a much better place to raise a family. Um, and so that's, I think, still true today and still, still a good selling point that we have to offer. So we've spent most of our time so far talking about uh, from the perspective of the service members, the transitioning service members, um, how does this process work for employers? Um, and, you know, how many employers are engaged at this point? How does it work for them? And how would they get engaged going forward? Uh, we've got, we, we have over 200 employers in our network that have access to our platform. Um, now, every employer, you know, it, first of all, all of this is free to employers. Uh, however, if they want to have a published profile, if they want to have a visible presence on our website, they have to supply some content to, to populate those profiles, right? So, so out of those couple hundred companies that have access to the platform, uh, we have 40 that have published profiles. Uh, they've supplied images. They've supplied, you know, content about who they are, what they do, posted jobs. That number is growing daily. We've got team members that actively work with employers to help set up those profiles. We do a quality check at the end when a company thinks they've got a, a profile that's ready to be published. And we really do, we really do work pretty actively with employers to make sure that that content is well tailored to this specific veteran audience. Um, so those are the employers in our network. We've got a lot of, a lot of major employers throughout the state. You know, I'd say most of the major employers uh, the biggest of the big employers throughout the state are are working with us, and we have a lot of small employers too. So really, the full spectrum. Uh, we are constantly looking for more employers to engage. You know, the more the better. We are, from a veteran perspective, you know, we are recording this right now at the end of October, and so far this month we've signed up 345 veterans. So you know, we need a substantial number of employers to engage with us to make sure we're attracting as many of these veterans as we can to the state. If, if there is a company that wants to engage with us, there's a link on our website. Uh, if you go to, there's a, there's a page titled for employers that's got content that kind of outlines or outlays what, what we do, how we engage with employers. And there's a link that says, you know, get started and create your profile. Um, at that point, one of our team members, you know, an employer clicks that there's a short little form they fill out. And then one of our employers or, uh, team members will reach out, engage them, and, and get that process started. So you said go to the website, but but uh, what is the website address? How do they get there? Sure. So the website address is invets.org. That's I-N-V-E-T-S.org. You go to the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says more. 
Uh, if you click that, it gives you some more page options, and one of those is the for employers page. So, so you've you've kind of alluded to this, but let's step back before we finish up and just sort of walk through, you know, what's the process like for that transitioning service member? What happens to him or her as they're sort of engaging with with InVets? What does that process look like, and how does it flow? So in an ideal scenario, we would, and we are actively trying to connect with service members as they join the service. So you think about your 18-year-old high school graduate that leaves for basic training. We are trying to actively connect with them as soon as we can in their military career, get them signed up. Even if they're getting out of the military in a year, two years, three years, they can be actively taking steps to set themselves up for success for that end of their service. They can be getting education, working on certificates. And so we try and engage service members as early in their career as we can. Once they go onto our website, they create that profile, they get contacted by one of our team members. Um, we, we don't take a heavy-handed approach in communications with them. We, we, you know, that person that has, you know, three years left on their contract, we might just check in with them, you know, once every six months or so to see how they're doing. Uh, they can actively, though, go through our website, go through their portal uh, that, that creating a profile gives them. They can view, you know, the job board that houses all the jobs that any employment partners have posted. Uh, they can apply for jobs through there. They can indicate that they've applied for a job. Uh, when they do that, then that automatically triggers an email that goes to our point of contact at that company and says, hey, this veteran just applied for this job at your company through Invets, uh, just to make sure that, you know, that that hiring professional knows uh, that that person is a veteran. Uh, you know, oftentimes employers express frustration that they don't know who the veterans are within their applicant pool. And so we're trying to create that mechanism to create awareness. Um, and that also just, you know, gives us better feedback, uh, you know, as we're, as we're, you know, refining this process uh, to know where veterans are applying, how many are applying, and really know how successful we are. So, so that's kind of the veteran's pathway to finding a job once they find a job. Then we uh, will reach out to them to see if they need any assistance through the move, through the, you know, the process. We'll, we'll see if we can make any introductions to some of our partners, partnering organizations or individuals in their local community. Um, and then down the road, you know, some of these, some of the programs we'd like to see in the future are, uh, you know, invest hosted events throughout the state, networking events, community building events, uh, the veteran ecosystem, not just in Indiana, but really in almost every state is, is fairly fractured. Uh, there are no organizations that really have the ability to tap into the veteran the local veteran population on a wide scale. Nobody, I mean, it, it might seem kind of crazy, but no one really knows who the veterans are in their own community. So we're hoping to use this, uh, this position as kind of the top of the funnel for veterans coming into a community to start to establish uh, that broader base for promoting uh, interactions between that community going forward. So, uh, what is the, so? I know we've talked about this in the past, uh, but what is the sales pitch to 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 veterans or transitioning service members? So, what does Indiana offer uh, as benefits or as incentives to those individuals um, that we can sweeten the pot, if you wish? But uh, uh, what are those advantages to coming to Indiana, and what kind of benefits? Sure. So again, it, it slightly depends, you know, what the pitch is depending on the person. But I would say broadly speaking, 
uh, we've got great economic opportunity. You know, we've got lots of employers that um, you can earn a really good living within, uh, you know, without a ton of credentials walking in the door. We've got a lot of employment partners that invest a lot within their their own workforce. Um, you know, I've got I've got example after example of companies that you can walk in the door with zero credentials, zero experience, and as long as you've got the work ethic, the drive, the soft skills. You know, within a handful of years, you can be uh, you can be making close to six figures with great benefits um, if you simply put in enough time and effort. And so, to a, to a veteran, that's all they want to hear. You know, that's you give them the challenge, you give them the light at the end of the tunnel, the the prize to be obtained, and they'll put in the time and the effort. So that's one good thing we have going for us. We also have a variety of really good state benefits and incentives at the government level. So. Uh, we've got a program through Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority where they are offering to partner with employers that are that offer relocation packages to veterans. And they'll reimburse those employers up to $5,000 if they hire a veteran through this INVEST program. Uh, so, you know, they have to sign up. Uh, an employer would have to sign up for the program. There's some stipulations, but it's a great incentive, a great additional carrot that those employers can offer to, to incentivize veterans to come to Indiana. And then on the state benefit side, we've also got some unique things. For example, if you are a veteran with a disability rating, so this this is actually a pretty good amount of veterans have some level of disability rating from the uh, the Department of Veteran Affairs. It most often does not limit their ability to work in the workplace, but it means that they 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 have some physical ramification that resulted from their time in the military and so indiana has a state benefit that says uh you know and again there's some there's some stipulations to this and it kind of depends on the case but oftentimes like take me for example i qualify for this any of my children will go to school at any state-funded university completely free of tuition and fees so this is a huge selling point for indiana it's something that doesn't exist throughout the country uh, really anywhere um, quite like it does here in Indiana. And so if you've got a number of kids and they're getting towards that college age, that can mean some serious dollars that you could save by moving to Indiana and bringing your kids into the local school system. And there's a there's a wide variety of other state benefits that impacts veterans, but I'd say the the college tuition and fee waiver is is by far the biggest. Uh, the other big one that just got just got passed uh, by Governor Holcomb a couple years ago, uh, it was called House Bill 1010. It works, it's working to exempt military retirement income from state income tax. So uh, roughly half the states in the country uh, do not tax your military retirement pay and roughly half do. So, you know, again, I mentioned about half the folks that are getting out are in that, you know, low to mid forties age range and they're collecting a pension for the rest of their life from their time in the military. Um, and so what, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks in that boat make that, decision on where to go after the military on whether or not you're going to tax that pay, that pension for the rest of their life. And so getting us on that list of, of states that don't tax that pension was a big deal for us. And we instantly saw a change in the conversations we had on installations uh, as a result of that. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, so I think it's remarkable um, how extensive uh, this is. How many, how many veterans because you have you've, you've been at this for a, for a little while, but but the the full program really just launched this year. But how many veterans are in the pool, and how many have sort of been 
through the process up to this point. So, so you're right. So we've been at this since, since really the beginning of 2018. Um, but we had, you know, one staff member for the first year, two staff members for the second year, and it really was just a proof of concept. So um, this year in, uh, you know, 2020 in June, we launched our first uh, or our, our revamped website. We added additional staff members in May. So really, you know, when I talk about numbers for this year, we're really talking about from June until, you know, now at the end of October. And so far this year, we have signed up uh, 1,621 veterans from across the country. Um, and we have, out of that, created 145 new residents uh, as a result. Now, it's important to note that um, you know, our ratio, our, our tactics have shifted because of COVID, and, and therefore our ratio of veterans signing up has somewhat shifted because of COVID. So we have seen, as a result of this pandemic, a higher percentage of local veterans, of, of Hoosier resident veterans signing up than out-of-state veterans. Uh, and that's included in that 1,600 number, but, but still 1,600, you know, viable new employees that, that Hoosier employers can tap into. Um, and 145, you know, completely new residents uh, just in the past, you know, handful of months. And, and I will point out too. So, so one thing that COVID has done is it is probably going to produce the lowest number of military separations in a year in 2020 than we have seen in the past 20 years. Um, the military, as a result of COVID, has allowed service members to do short-term contract extensions to provide them some stability. You know, there are a portion of veterans that get out involuntarily. You know, they get injured and they're forced out or they have, a, uh, you know, some sort of negative interaction. They get essentially kicked out um, and they have no choice in the matter. But, but the vast majority of veterans have a choice on when they leave the military. And if you've got to choose, you know, do I want to get out in the middle of a pandemic in an uncertain job environment? Or maybe, you know, the military is letting me sign an extension for six months. Maybe I just ride it out six more months and, and then try and get out and find a civilian job. So we have seen, you know, like I said, the lowest numbers of transitions that, that we've seen, you know, since I've been alive basically in the last, in the last uh, you know, six months to a year. But what that means is we are about to see a tidal wave of people that get out in the next year or the next two years. <laughs> so um, so we've, we've still been able, despite COVID, to meet or exceed all of our goals to date. Uh, but I would anticipate you know, a pretty big wave of people leaving the military and utilizing our platform over the next year or two. And I'm, I'm almost glad that we have this time to, to really get you know, the employment partners that we're working with you know, kind of spun up to take advantage of this program so that when that wave does come, we're fully ready to take advantage of it. Yeah, so I guess that really almost gave you uh, an opportunity for a soft launch uh, to kind of work some things out before that next big wave comes. But I think that probably uh, it may end up working in your advantage. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. So I appreciate your time, and I always appreciate uh, uh, being able to talk with you. And, and I've learned, I've learned, and, and you know, I've been engaged with you on this process for a while, but I've certainly learned a lot today. What haven't we talked about that you need to talk about before we, before we conclude today? No, I think, I think we've hit um, um, all the high points. I, 
just, you know, said I appreciate your involvement throughout this entire thing. This has been, you know, you've been a huge help. You and the idea have been a huge help since the very beginning of this, this process back in 2017-18. Um, I'd say one of our, you know, for anybody listening that's, that's looking for ways to plug in to engage and potentially help, I'd say, you know, simply getting the word out in local communities to employers um, or anybody else that might want to partner with us. You know, like I said, we are looking to engage with other nonprofits uh, wherever we can. Um, and even if an employer isn't hiring heavily today, I think it's still worthwhile getting a profile set up and really, like I said, getting getting fully ready to take advantage of, of when everything comes back online, when the economy kicks fully back in. Uh, you know, we want to be fully ready to to take advantage of this wave of service members transitioning um, and not try and not try and play catch up whenever that does happen. And uh, so one last time, make sure people know the website is. Invets.org, I-N-B-E-T-S.org is the website. Again, there's a link on there for employers to sign up. If anybody has uh, you know, any need to contact me directly, again, my name is Wes Wood. You can connect with us on LinkedIn. Our team is very engaged on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can reach me by email. And it's just Wes, W-E-S, at Invets.org. All right, Wes. <laughs> I appreciate your time. This really has been has been helpful and informative. Uh, so I've been talking with Wes Wood, the executive director of Invets, uh, the the statewide initiative to attract transitioning service members and veterans to uh, Indiana communities and jobs. Wes, as always, thank you very much. I most appreciate your time. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate it. This has been the IEDA In Your Ear podcast brought to you by Wabash Valley Power Alliance. Thank you for listening. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content in this podcast is copyright 2020 by the Indiana Economic Development Association and all rights are reserved. Mm -hmm.